Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I am your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. Today, I've got a special friend with me. I've, I met this person years ago when he was principal CEO of Anuitas. And if you've heard of Anuitas, it's one of the big ones that's out there that really did a lot around marketing and put marketing and digital transformation on the map. So he spent 11 plus years there. Before that, he was with BMC and McAfee. After that, he's been with Caliber Mind and Demand Gen, where he's chief strategy officer. And he's here today because he woke up and discovered, you know, life has more to offer than the job that I'm in. And in chasing my tail, trying to be something that God doesn't necessarily want me to be. And so he discovered some things. He wrote a book called The Un-American Dream that's awesome. Um, And it's because the American dream is go make a bunch of money, get the white picket fence and end up, you know, with two cars and two kids and blah, blah, blah. The un-American dream is what we should really be after. And that's what we're going to dive into today. So Carlos, man, you're coming from Virginia right now and then headed to New York. You're living the un-American dream. Welcome to the show. Chad, thanks so much. Yeah, our relationship goes back quite a ways. And I can honestly say I am living my best life and I'm extremely grateful for it. Well, the quote that you said that I thought was perfect for living a better story is, even the ugliest part of your story is not your story because it's still being written. And if you think of any book or movie that you've seen that you start going through the chapters and you go, whoa, this is terrible, flip the next page and the hero comes out. And that I think that quote is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's something that I've held on to because I have some really dark, ugly parts of my story. And, you know, God is still in the business of redemption. He's still in the business of grace. And even if we just look at the what people claim the heroes of the faith, I mean, David, could you imagine if his story was Bathsheba? Uh, Jacob, could you imagine if his story was he's a liar? Peter, if his story was he denied Jesus. Those weren't their stories. They were part of their stories. But their stories were, these were men who were devoted and their faith and look at their lives and how God used them. And so I think shame tells us the worst part of you is your story. 
but God tells us your story is still being written. Man, that's deep. So let's go back. I'd like to get our audience to understand who you are from a young age. A lot of times, if we look at the, the filters through a lens of a six-year-old, and then we compare that to now, the same you're the same person you were when you were six, that you are when you're 50, that you are when you're 100. So when you woke up in the morning and walked out the door, what would you say were you passionate about at some of your early, early things that you can remember? Well, first of all, I love this question because I, I speak about the fact that we all have our inner child. And while I, I love Simon Sinek, I think starting with why is the wrong thing, we need to start with who. And I keep a picture of my seven-year-old self in my office to remember this is who you are. So to answer your question, which I love, is I was someone who loved people when I was six years old. And that has not changed. I loved to help people. I would literally, we lived in a small town. Uh, I lived in the Adirondack Mountains, but as a little kid, when I was six, we lived in a small town in North Jersey. And I would ride my bike up this little country road. And I had uh, a number of houses that I just got to know. And most of these people had no children. They were retired, so they were older. But when you're six, you don't sit there and go, oh, you're old. For all I knew, they were in their 70s or 80s. But I would help them. I would pull weeds. I would mow lawns just because I love, and then sometimes I would just stop and have milk and cookies with them because I just loved to be around and help people. And you know what? You're exactly right. That's what I love to do today, sitting here at 50 years old. Well, and I think a lot of people disconnect that because they have their parents tell them to do one thing, their teachers tell them another thing, whether they go to church or not, a pastor influences them, a friend. And by the time they know it, they're living in a lane that's not their own lane. And so I look at it like each of us has a fingerprint or there's billions of snowflakes that have ever existed and none of them are alike. Figuring out what fingerprint you are, what snowflake you are, and then aligning that up to what you're doing in the world man, like that's, that's the ultimate destination is, is getting to that place. That's when life becomes so much fun. When we get back to who we were created to be and what you, you talked about the fingerprint, most of us have indelible prints put on us as children where it's not only, Hey, go do this, but this is who you are. And it's a lie that we embrace and I can pinpoint some of the ones that I embraced, especially one when I was 13. And that caused me to start to pursue a false purpose because I believed a false identity and a false narrative. And that's why I believe it's so firmly important for us to get back to who we were created to be. So then we can just go and discover why are we here? And we, when we align that then with our gifts and talents that God gave us, the opportunities are endless and life becomes a blast. Yeah. It, I just went to my folks house recently and my dad said, Hey, we've got some old hockey sticks in the garage and I didn't play professional hockey or anything. I, I did play lacrosse in college, but I, these are two plastic sticks, one with the blue blade on yeah. it and one with the yellow one. And the blue blade has a lot more wear and tear than the yellow one, because that was mine, the blue one. And so I remember playing at, at skate city and I, the thrill of being competitive, the one word I would use to describe myself as competitive. And so whenever I've been in situations where I can be competitive 
it's just, it's so thrilling for me, right? So your desire to help people, I, I, I know that's inside of me. That's probably part two, but Roman numeral one is I've got to be competing and, and live, leaning into that and saying, okay, competing in what? And that's the part where I continue to move a half to one degree over. And, you know, and now that we've opened the foundation called Living a Better Story, I think we get to compete and help people discover their talents and connect with their creator so that they can understand, you know, how they could live a frictionless life and get beyond the ugly part of the story so they can tell the, the best part of their story. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think it's so powerful. And I really do believe that's when the world starts to open up. So let's dig into one or a few of the challenges that you faced. Um, I know you've got, you know, some background that you're not afraid to share and you've shared it. And I went to see you speak one time in Colorado. I've seen you share it on videos and you share it in your book. So what what's something that's painful that you, you know, that you looking back, you say, you know what, that, that really was actually okay. It ended up working out like what's painful for you. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever say it's okay. I think that, <laughs> as I mentioned, I'm thankful that God's still in the business of redemption. Uh, but it's definitely made me who I am today. And, you know, it started Chad with, I started Annuitus. I co-founded Annuitus cause I was on the road about a quarter million miles a year. And I had four small children and I just wanted to get be home. Um, but then as Annuitus grew, so did my ego. And I started to just pursue a false purpose, make money, get notoriety. Um, I, my ego couldn't get enough. I wrote my first book in 2015 about marketing. And when people would come up to me at a trade show and say, oh my word, you're Carlos, can you sign my book? My ego just soaked it up. And I, I actually, in the book, in the un-American dream, I'd say I became quite unfulfilled and quite narcissistic in the process. Well, when you become a narcissist, you also believe that you can do anything, that rules don't apply to you. And I cloaked it pretty well. You know, I, I kept people at a distance, but that led to some personal choices of me walking out of my marriage and neglecting my family and pursuing relationships I had no business to pursue. And it, it ruined me. I became a shell of myself. And I basically told God, sit here on the park bench. I'll take care of this. And in 2015, at the very end of 2015 in October, it all came crashing down around me and I was exposed. And I had a, a dear friend who was also our corporate attorney at the time call me and said, I'm not calling you as your attorney. I'm calling you as your friend. You have one or two choices, either fall on your knees and ask God for forgiveness and your family, uh, or just go live the life that you've been living, that you've been keeping a secret for so long. And it was a, it was a gut punch, uh, but it was, a, it was a loving gut punch. And I'm so glad John made that call. And from there, I just started the long, hard process of shedding all of the false identity that I had embraced on who I thought I was and who I thought people wanted me to be. I had no idea. My wife and I separated. Uh, my children at that point really didn't want a whole lot to do with me. And I remember I lived in Colorado Springs at the time. I remember there were days I'd drive down I-25. I look at Pikes Peak and I would say, God, I don't know how you are going to redeem this, but if you put Pikes Peak there, you can do something 
awesome here. And most days that was the only prayer I had. And then I would pray and give me the strength to believe that. And so it was hard. It was brutal. Uh, I decided to leave that agency in 2016. At that point, Suzanne and I were still separated and I, I didn't do it as a way to try to get her back. I did it because I knew if I wasn't who God wanted me to be, who created me to be and at my healthiest, I wasn't going to be good to anybody else. Thankfully, he has restored our marriage. We actually talk about we're in our second marriage, the same, but very, two very different people. I've got a great relationship with my children. And here I sit almost six years later, absolutely in awe at his grace. Mm. I can I can relate to that because when you get working hard as a CEO and you're just running on the treadmill fast as you can and finances move up and down and risk and you know and you're just juggling it all and you know you get married we've been married 20 years and mm -hmm. at some point in the middle you start having and especially through covid i think a lot of people have probably had a wait you think that way <laughs> you know? yeah, right I, I think over here and you think over there and you start to think you know for us we we started to fade apart a little bit now it never got to the point where we said hey let's move into a different house or anything like that we never got separated but certainly there was a little bit of that kind of struggle and mm -hmm. what i started to do i downloaded an app called habits and i just said all right i'm going to pray in the morning and i do it most of the time anyway but sometimes we're not as accountable as we should be to that so just like your prayer when you saw the mountain pray in the morning act throughout the day according to what you the message you got um, and then pray at night right a, a simple kind and then read a bible verse so i started religiously doing that every day and it's like and then what happened is the guy who introduced me to my wife 20 years ago 22 years ago 24 years ago he shows up in colorado and he, I, I don't remember that he's ever been here and he he says hey i'm, I'm here with my wife we'd like to take you out to dinner i'm like cool and then you're, so that was a God thing. The fact that he was here at that time and, mm -hmm. and everything came rushing back. I was like, wait a second. Like I looked my whole life for the perfect person. And then Tracy came along and I was like, this is like a 97%. There's always a three, that's an A plus in, in everyone's book. And some guys that were married were like, you should settle if it's 85 or 80%, that's good enough. I was like, no, no, no. I found 97 to hundred. And so that reminder of all of the time that it took me to get to there, and then my two beautiful children that just graduated, you know, one just graduated high school. And it was like, thanks for the reminder, God. But, but connecting and having that dialogue, because I'm, I'm not a bad person. Why am I even thinking of any kind of strife between us? And just that level of, man, if you built Pikes Peak, intervene here. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, and I and, and and he has restored that connection. And I think you know when when I hear people talk about intimacy with their spouse, they usually relate it back to sex. And I'm like, you know, that intimacy is emotional. It's mental. It's spiritual. And marriage is hard. It takes hard work. And yeah, there's there's going to be friction points. And and we're going to have people. We're, we're going to think differently. I don't want my wife to think and agree with everything that I agree with because she can challenge me and get me to think and get me to learn. And I learned so much from her. And so I think when, you know, if anybody who's listening to this is like, yeah, you don't understand. I'm like, I do understand. 
but it's going to take work. And God brought you together for a reason. And I can tell you, you can have a thriving, vibrant marriage. You just got to be willing to work at it like you're doing. You decide what, what, what can I do? I had a therapist used to say to me, you are 100% responsible for 50% of this equation. What can you do to make this relationship better? And that's what I focus on each and every day. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, even different perspectives on raising your children. And yeah. you know, I tended to want to be a friend and Tracy tended to want to be the mother who held accountability. And we had those conversations and then we, we made it work, right? There was a couple of times where you get into a situation. It's like, Chad, I need you to be the dad here. And I'm like, well, wait, we yeah. agreed. I'm the friend, <laughs> but you know, you work through all that and it, be, and it's, and you, you really become one person um, when, yeah. when you're, when you've got the thread of, of God running between you. Um, what's, what's next. So you've, you've had a hugely successful business life. You've made this pivot. You're remarried to the same person, which is fabulous. I think I, I sometimes think about that. That'd be fun to go, Hey, let's go to a beach and, and retie the vows. You know, I've heard of people doing that at 25 years and whatnot. Um, but what's next, you're doing some coaching for folks and it mm -hmm. sounds like, you know, you talk to someone and, and like, how, how does that work? What, um, what happens in those sessions? Yeah. You know, really what my, my whole passion, my whole hope is that I get to spend the rest of my career helping people live the life and design the life that they love to live every day. And I find that most people don't. When you, when I hear people say, yeah, I say, how you doing? They go, okay. I say, you know, okay is not good. Just okay is not real good. Yeah. And, and we only go around this sun once, so we ought to live our best life possible. So really what we do is we have people who come to us from all walks of life, all uh, many of them from the sales and marketing arena, which you and I play, play in. Uh, that's because I've been there for the last 25 years, who just have an inkling that life can be better and they don't know how, they feel stuck. And I've been there. I felt stuck. Um, and rather than staying stuck, what I say is, all right, Let's, let's manage to two to three outcomes, like measurable outcomes that we can get to that is going to make this worthwhile for you. So one of the first things we do is we do an Enneagram assessment. I want to understand your motivations. What motivates you? Where do you come from? What does that look like when you're at your healthiest? And what does that look like when you're at your most unhealthy? And then we start to work through those outcomes. And again, it's my process is let's get back to who you were created to be so we can align to your true purpose, align that with your opportunities, or I'm sorry, align that with your gifts and talents, and then start to identify opportunities for the world to open up and realize that anything's possible. And then on the other side of that is, are you aligned with yourself and your partner on what you want from your life. And trust me, if you wanna go with your partner and say, we both wanna work 50 hours a week, make as much money as possible yeah, and, live, okay. yeah. and live for someday, as long as you're aligned to that, who am I to say you're doing it wrong? Most people don't want that. Mm -hmm. And so we align and then we say, based on those alignments, what agreements are we gonna put in place first with myself and then with my partner to say, okay, in order to, realize what we aligned on these are some of the things we're going to do so my wife and i when our our youngest son was a junior we agreed that when he got settled in college we were going to sell the house 
that was an agreement we made. We didn't need the house anymore. My kids are all over the country and they were like, go ahead and sell the house. So we put those in place and those plans or those alignments into agreement. Then we started to plan out. So what does that look like? We agreed to sell the house. Then we started to put in place a plan on timing. And then we chose a realtor and we started to then execute that plan. The fun part of all of it is we constantly have alignment discussions, always, because as we age, we're now empty nesters, things change, we experience new things. I mean, we have talked about everything from moving to Costa Rica for six months out of the year to when COVID opens up, do we go tour Europe and work from there? Everything is open to discussion. 98% of it doesn't stick, but the 2% that does leads to more. So that's what we do with coaching. We work with individuals and couples. That's cool. Um, there's a book I read and I'm not going to remember the name. I'm going to look in my cabinet here and it's not going to jump at me. It's, I remember it's by Gay Hendricks. That's the author. Know the name. Yep. And it shows a picture of a fish tank or a fish bowl and another fish bowl. And the fish is jumping from one to the other. And in the book, it talks about how we as humans generally have this thermostat level of the certain level of happiness that we're used to and believe we deserve. So let's say in, in our house, the temperature is set at 72 degrees, right, with the air. And it's probably the same in the heat and, you know, winter and summer. And so if it gets a little too much, then boom, it kicks in and it drops back down to 72. Um, I've seen a lot of people self-sabotage themselves in life. So just when things start getting to be amazing, boom, the house temperature kicks on and all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 you're, you're destined for that certain level. Have yeah. you been able to help people figure that, you know, viscosity line out of how do you pull that away when you're putting in these these um, goals and, and alignment between the two significant others. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I love that. And we do talk about, and, and that, what I find is that is often the root cause of that is the lies that we've chosen to believe about ourselves and our, our, that voice of shame that whispers, you don't deserve this. You're so in over your head. The reality is that happiness is a choice. I've spent time with my wife. My wife does a lot of nonprofit work in Uganda and I've spent time in villages where there's no running water and literally mud hot and thatched roofs. And I, I have experienced joy and happiness like I've never seen in a Western culture in my entire life. And these are women who don't even know if they're going to eat tomorrow, but the happiness and the joy. So our happiness is a choice. And so we really start to talk about that is it, when I hear somebody say, if I just get this, then I'll be happy. No, you won't, because I live that. If I just had the next big client, I'd be happy. If we just crested X million in revenue, I'd be happy. I wasn't, I was miserable. So we start to unpack what are the lies we've believed and what is preventing us from choosing happiness? That doesn't mean you're going to become a multimillionaire. It doesn't mean you're going to become the CEO of your company. Those things are not directly proportional to happiness. And what's interesting is when I talk to people about success, not one person ever talks to me about the monetary. Yeah. I say, well, how do you define that success? Or how did, what would happiness look like? Nobody says, you know what? If I just had a million bucks, I'd be successful. 
Yeah. They never say that. They talk about relationship. They talk about intimacy. They talk about community and connection. And I'm sure you guys are seeing it with what you're doing. Well, I met this, uh, I went skiing and, and we went to some, it was, I think it was new year's or sometime around there. And, um, we were in steamboat and we go to this local restaurant bar where they're playing live music and we were early. And so we're standing at the bar, you know, having a, having a glass of wine or something and the owner is standing there and we got to know her and she's like, yeah, yeah. I won the lottery in 1985 or something like that. She said, it was the best thing that happened to me. And the worst thing that happened to me, <laughs> I lost my husband. All my friends came to me asking me for money. And so the biggest thing I learned to say is no, and, and, and so what else? And, and I, and then we got to talking for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I said, I'll bet you, you've learned how to just be like in the moment. Cause I go, I can see it right now. We're communicating in a way that's different than most people. You're here in this moment. She's like, how'd you know? And you could just, now there's more people coming in and let's say there's a hundred people in the bar. And I looked around and I'm like, you know, there's me who know that secret to being, she knows it. And now this other friend of ours was there. I'm like, okay, now he knows it. And it was like, you could just see that it's like a, it's like COVID, right? We need to spread the virus that you need to understand that the gift is this second, like enjoy it and yeah. take in a breath and be like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and we have, uh, we introduce and keep noise in our lives through our phones, through our devices, through our social media, uh, through music. I mean, we, we are so uncomfortable as a society of being by ourselves and being in the quiet of ourselves. And to me, that's the signal of there's stuff I don't want to deal with. And a lot of us choose work. I'll work 50 to 60 hours a week so I don't have to deal with hurt a broken relationship, a fracture somewhere in, with my children or my wife or my husband or my partner. And it, it's just this constant, I'm just going to run from it. Well, it, it comes out sideways somewhere, usually in a destructive behavior. And so addiction comes in all forms and it can be to our phone. It can be to television. It can be to our apps. It can be to work, but an addiction is always used to cover up some sort of pain or discomfort that you don't want to deal with. Mm. Man, and when you face it, I, I, it took me a four-day workshop. There was 150 life coaches. And so they were learning how to be life coaches. And the, the instructor's name is Rich Litvin. And he would mm -hmm. say, okay, stand up, you know, and he goes, how do you want to be coached by me in his London accent, right? And um, it was the same thing every time. Tell me about when you were six. Tell me about your you know, teenage years. And usually somewhere between there is when they get the baggage. But that's also yes. where the gift was of what they really love to do. And there's people who are just standing up answering the questions. And all of a sudden, they just break down and gush. They're like, wait a minute. That's why I'm the chief administrative officer at AT&T, this one person. And she's like, because I love to do that as a kid. And now, and she was like, her whole purpose of being there was I have a big presentation. I'm going for this job. There's 50 other people that are interviewing for it. It's very proper. And then come to find she, that moment of 10 minute conversation. It was like the best chiropractic of the mind you could ever get. And she just was like, boom, 
I've arrived. Okay, now I'm back in my body. I understand what my purpose is. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. I, w- I wish I could have gone through a four-day workshop. It took me a number of years of some really <laughs> good therapy and some brain, brain work, some bra- neurotherapy as a modality, which was uh, very helpful. But I think a lot of us need that moment. I think just having that mindset of I can find my way back. We did a, on our podcast, we interviewed a friend, Joey Dumont, and he talked about coming home. And when he talked about coming home, it was coming back to himself who he was as a kid. And when you find that, and again, it's, it's, I, I'm at a point where I say, this is a journey because I still have that voice of shame that will tell me, you know, this isn't, you're not going to be any good at this. This isn't who you are. I still have that, those clients who talk about, oh, you know, you just want to make a ton of money and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, those are things that I have to get back and say, is this who I was, was I created to be? Not that money's bad, not that success is bad. I'm not saying that at all. I've, I feel very grateful for my career in many ways. But again, does it align with who I am, who I'm created to be, who God created to be, who God put into that, you know, that six-year-old that God created? And if I'm doing things in a way that don't align with that, I'm doing them wrong. Yeah, that's right. So this question, actually, I'm going to add another question because we've got five minutes left. So this one's fun. And then we're going to get to the last two. All right. Um, Think about, and this one's supposed to take an hour. So we're going to collapse this down into a short period. Imagine you walk outside into a green field and there's this big, huge bird, like us that could, that you can get on the back of, and it flies you 20 years into the future. And you actually knock on the door and meet your future self. And so you look around in the room, you take inventory of what's there, you shake your hand and you kind of take it all in for a minute, right? Now you can picture that and, and then you, you're leaving and that future self, like this is the fun part of the exercise, gives you one piece of advice for now. And you're able to get back on the bird, come back to now and if you can future play that, a lot of times people go back and say, what would you tell your 20 year old self? You can't do that. But I can go into the future, see where I'm living and go, yeah, I like that or I don't. And then I can tell myself the tricks on, okay, here's what you need to do to get there. So if you run that quick mental exercise, yeah, what did you take inventory of? And what did you tell yourself that you can bring back to right now to get you there in 20 years? I took inventory of the simplicity of my life that I didn't have a lot of stuff because I want to, I want to, I want experience. I don't want stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the simplicity and what I mean by that, this, the simplicity and the authenticity of my relationships, my marriage. Um, I took note of a lot of laughter and joy. And what I told myself in that setting was, forgive quickly because wow. holding on, holding on to it does no good. Wow. That's flipping good, man. Mine was, I, I ended up someplace in the Mediterranean and, and I had a full beard and I lost about 20 pounds. And I did this a year ago, this exercise. And, um, but I was like, wait, where's Tracy? And she wasn't in the room looking down on this thing. And I was like, that bothered the crud out of me. I was like, wait, is she shopping in the square? You know, where is she? 
And so, but it was beneficial to go through that mental exercise because your unconscious is running games in the background that you need to tap into. And, and those kinds of mental exercises are so fun. So I play that one frequently now and think about, okay, 20 years out, what do I tell myself today to do at this I moment? I like it. Yeah, I not- like it. <laughs> okay, last question. And you've kind of already answered this, but I'd like to connect the dots. And that is what role does faith play in your journey? I'd love to see, you know, were you raised with faith or did it come you know, did you, did you start with it? You strayed or did it come later in life or how did faith enter your life? Yeah. The God I was raised with is not the God that I I worship today. I can tell you that I was raised in a very staunch, uh, evangelical fundamental. And it's interesting. They call it fundamental because there's nothing fun about it. Um, legalistic environment where my picture of God as a kid even into my teens and early twenties was just this cranky old man who was waiting for you to screw up so he could bring down the hammer. Um, So through my journey, faith has played a huge role. I did walk away from it from a long time. Uh, Definitely not a religious guy, but I'm a spiritual person and I'm I'm one who holds fast to his faith in God and and in Jesus. Um, But I walked away from it. And I know that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, parable of the prodigal, very similar, um, except I didn't tell my my earthly father to go pound sand and wish he was dead. Um, I just literally wanted God out of my life and it became a hell on earth for me. And so my, my journey, my view of God has changed. My relationship with God has changed. I think it's so much deeper. Um, I really feel like he's my dad. When I'm in trouble, I can go to him. When I'm excited, he's excited with me. Uh, when he needs to kind of pull me aside and have a stern talking to, we do that too. Uh, but it has been something that I've returned to, but it looks vastly different for me. And I think the biggest thing that I, I hold fast to is uh, I don't think God looks at us and says, how could you do these things? I think God looks and says, who wounded you in the past to make you believe this was your only choice? And then gently restores us in a way that only a preeminent, loving, perfect, just God can. And that is the God that I relish. And I remember in my darkest days, I used to think the prodigal son must have felt like an idiot after he did everything he did, squandered every last penny, and his dad throws him a party. Like he had to be just sitting there going, oh, my word, I just can't wait to get out of here. And I don't believe that anymore. I think he wept. For sure. And said, you know what? I'm happy he's home. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I think the prodigal himself wept. Oh, just yeah. over, overwhelmed with grace from his dad. And that's the God that I follow. Mm. Man, so I'm going to tell you something here. And I haven't really shared this on the podcast. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. in January. And the fake news media blasted me and, and called me names and, and just hammered me and put me in a bucket of a bad person. And you know me and my friend knows me and my family knows me. And so I come home from, from my trip there after this fake, fake post. And it's a 90 second hit piece. And it was, I was like, what the heck? Well, I went to my parents' house 
and for eight days in the basement. And every day they came down with a, a Bible verse, breakfast, the best food you can imagine. And it was like, hey, we're here. We got you. God's got you. And, and I, it was, it was like one of the, you know, at, at age 48 now, you know, what chance do you have to go stay with your parents in the basement for a week? And, and this just connected me um, back to my faith in, in humanity, my faith in God. And, and when you said forgive fast, the one thing that came to mind during that event was forgive them for they know not what they do. Because all they see is a 90-second clip. Now, the news media, they played some things. That, that forgiveness there might take a little longer. But you, you've got to, you know, people who see a news clip are like, oh, whoa, that's not cool. Well, yeah, because it's, it's not real. It's made up. And, um, but going through that experience. And then the very next month, my son got in a grease fire where he wrestled a pan. Um, and it caused second, third degree burns on his face and hands. So it was like, boom, January, boom, February. And all you can do is faith. So I posted on LinkedIn. I said, Hey, my son, I'm at the hospital. It's 11 o'clock at night. Please pray for him. There were tens of thousands of people praying and he went from bad to worse, but then he went from worse to healed. And it was like, my prayer was God, I've never asked for a miracle. I've, I've asked for a lot of things, but never a miracle. If you could give me a miracle, I want to use my phone a friend right now. And this is it. Right. And I'm telling you, man, seven days later, they take the gauze off and you're like, wait a second, you're healed. And it was like, wow, there's no other way to describe it other than. Well, I'm, and thankfully we have a God who does more than just phone a friend. Right. That's right. And my wife and I talk about it all the time. We are, according to many therapists, we are a statistical anomaly with what we've been through and what we've come through. And God's, I would just say to anybody who's out there saying, you don't understand my story. I would say, you don't understand the depths of my story. God can redeem anything. The key is if we're going to be open to it. And mm. that prayer for your son, you were open to, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can. And whether God decided to heal him fully or leave him with scars and those burns, he would have worked a miracle somewhere else because all of us in his redemption are walking miracles. And when we can embrace that, again, it just changes how we view life and changes just the things that we do and how we do it and how we react and more importantly, how we see people. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because everything you've been talking about today, we've been busy. The elves are busy building 77pray.com and the app's going to be, hey, first thing in the morning, did you pray? Did you read a Bible verse that gets served up? Did you pray at night? Like the three basic things that you do, it doesn't take you more than five minutes. Like you don't need to get on a treadmill and go running. You just have to be open to getting the plant, right? Connecting, right. opening up the telephone line and being able to listen. And it's amazing what happens when you start saying, Hey, I'll move over into the shotgun. You drive the car. I'm going to get off the park bench. You know, you go ahead and lead and I'll follow where, where it takes you. And, you know, it's taken you to Virginia right now in a, in a uh, cool little house on the, on wheels. 
and it's absolutely New York. So I bet you're uh, you're going to meet a lot of interesting people there and continue to change the world. Well, thanks, Chad. We're we're loving life and we're grateful for it. And I'm, I really thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. Carlos, great to have you as always. Carlos Hidalgo, author of The Un-American Dream, great friend. If you haven't read his story, check it out. Um, he also has a podcast. Where can they find your podcast, Carlos? Yeah, the Life Design Podcast. We're on everything from Apple to Amazon to iHeartRadio and Spotify. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. We have a Life Design page. And then if you want to be part of our closed community, which we're trying to build, uh, it is just the Life Design Community and we would love to see you there. Perfect. All right, everybody. Chad Burmeister, Living Better Story podcast. Carlos Hidalgo, I appreciate you, and I wish you a wonderful next half of the year. Thanks. You too, my friend. Good seeing you. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ. <laughs>